Good morning, church family. Uh, to introduce myself, I'm Paul Chastain, the teacher of Adult Sunday School Department A52 with uh, Dewey Stoffels as the class director. We're a class of adults with kids uh, ranging from uh, some as young as elementary age up to uh, some of us with a few grandkids. So just to kind of let you know who I am and uh, where I'm coming from. I appreciate the opportunity to bring the last of our lessons in Romans to you this week. I hope you've had a great week and a, and a special Memorial Day remembrance of those who gave their lives in defense of our nation so that we might freely worship our Lord. And I uh, hope you've had a great week uh, remembering that. Also, I know that uh, we are all looking forward to the resumption of corporate worship, uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, the 7th of June. And we're thankful for Pastor Keith and all the staff of uh, First Baptist Keller who've worked so diligently to make that resumption possible. Before we begin our lesson in Romans, let's open up uh, with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless this time in his word. Lord, I thank you so much for your presence here in our study of your word. Thank you for your word given to show us how to live for you. For our church staff who's made our worship possible during this challenging time of quarantine. For the technology that's made sharing this lesson and all the uh, other lessons and worships uh, with so many people, even though we've not been able to be together physically. Thank you for the health of our church body during this time and for the great grace and salvation we have through you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you will prepare our ears to hear and our hearts to respond to your word as we study our last lesson in the book of Romans. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Well, chapter 15 is not actually the last chapter in Romans. Chapter 16 is. But it is predominantly a chapter of greetings uh, to and from the various members of the churches that Paul has been uh, ministering to, witnessing to during his mission trips, to and from the Christians that are in Rome. And so we're not going to have a lesson on that, but I would encourage you to read it. Uh, there's certainly uplifting discussion between fellow believers there that is, that is edifying to us. But uh, chapter 15, which we'll study today, is really the culmination of Paul's teaching uh, to the church in Rome. I, I know I've enjoyed uh, very much the, the study of Romans, and I'm sure you have also. It's a, it's a great book. It's got a ton of doctrine and foundational uh, tenets of our faith. And I'm really sad to see this study come to an end, but I, I'm excited particularly about this lesson because we're now coming to the focus of all the Apostle Paul's previous teaching to the Roman Christians. Last week, uh, we finished up in Romans chapter 14, and we heard Paul's exhortation for us to be unified as a church and not let judgmental attitudes cause divisiveness in the body of Christ so that we might be unified uh, together for our mission to reach the lost for Christ. Paul sees uh, unity as a prerequisite for the church to be effective in its mission, its primary mission of spreading the gospel to the uh, whole world. And so in the first portion of chapter 15, he reminds the Roman believers of, of what he's been talking about in the last chapter in verses 5 and 6. He says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another 
to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants this unity in in the Roman church, and he wants it to compel the uh, church there to fulfill their calling as part of the Great Commission. And that's what he's going to uh, speak to them about in in this passage in Romans 15, uh, encouraging them to reach out and uh, spread the gospel beyond uh, their borders and further into the Roman Empire. So let's open up our word uh, to Romans chapter 15, and we'll pick up the passage in verse 14, where Paul begins this discussion of fulfilling our calling as Christians. All right, we'll start out in verses 14 through 16, and if you'll follow along as I read that passage. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written you very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest to the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles has become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. As Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Romans, he expressed his confidence in the spiritual health of the believers in Rome. He talks about the fact that concerning them, he is convinced that they are full of goodness and filled with knowledge. And and partly he knows that because he has, for 14 chapters, given them knowledge, given them some very meaty discussions on the foundational doctrines of of our faith. And and he knows they have that in addition to whatever previous knowledge they had that they brought with them from their various places of salvation to Rome. And uh, But now they're equipped to know the foundations and tenets of their faith from the beginnings in Romans, where we learned about our depravity, whether we're a Jew or a Greek. We learned about salvation and what Christ did for us in coming to atone for our our lost condition. We've learned about sanctification, and we've learned about how that sanctification affects us every day of our lives, and how we interact with others in the body of Christ, how we interact with, with our neighbors, with even our enemies, how we respond to our government. And all those things are foundational to the Holy Spirit being in us as born-again believers and how that changes how we interact with the world around us. Now, having that foundation, Paul's encouraging them to do their primary job, all our primary job. They've been fed the meat of doctrine, Now he's addressing them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he considered the church to be his family. He wants them to partner with him in what he has been doing. And he shares what he has been doing, which is God's calling on him, which started on the road to Damascus. He was made an apostle to the Gentiles by Jesus Christ when he met on the road to Damascus. And because of the grace that was given him from God is what Paul says in verse 15, that he is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles specifically. And in the process of doing that, he's ministering as a priest. Interesting phraseology, he's ministering as a priest of the gospel of God. And he's doing that so that his offering, and his offering is the Gentiles themselves who have heard his teaching, have heard his preaching. That those Gentiles who have come 
to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ are the sacrifice that's acceptable and perfect, sanctified by the Holy Spirit to our Lord. Paul's very, very excited about that. And he is feeling that calling on his life, and he wants the Roman church to feel that calling on theirs. He's reminding them of their calling as part of the Great Commission. From Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Paul considered this calling to be important, in fact, critical to who a Christian is, not only for him who's been called directly as an apostle to the Gentiles, but to all believers who are all ministers of Christ to those around us so that we might share the truth. Next, Paul is going to encourage them to to join with him in reaching the unreached for Christ. So let's look further at the next passage, part of the passage in verses 17 through 22. Therefore, in Christ, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have been prevented from coming to you. So the first thing Paul does here in verse 17 is he has found reason for boasting, not in anything he has done, but what God has done through him. He says in verse 18, I will not presume to speak of anything that he has done except what Christ has accomplished through me. And what has Christ accomplished? Christ has accomplished the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. When he says that, he's talking about their word of their testimony, i.e. their salvation. And their deed, he's talking about their sanctification. They're becoming more Christ-like by their deeds, by how they act, by how they are changed from who they were before they professed to know Christ. And he knows that that and all the signs and wonders, everything that he has done throughout his missionary journeys is all because of Christ and Christ in him. So he is excited to share that, but he wants them to be a part of it. He's clear that his teaching he attributes to Christ. And it's also clear that he wants to excite them about what he's accomplished so far, or really what God has accomplished so far. I mean, he's been a, placed on a, under a burden for the Gentiles, and he has covered a large amount of territory, all the way from, from Jerusalem, the birthplace of Christianity in the heart of Judaism, all the way up the uh, eastern coast of the Mediterranean, through uh, what's now modern-day Lebanon and Syria, and then into uh, Turkey, uh, what they called Asia Minor, and then into Greece, and also into what he calls here Illyricum. Illyricum was a Roman province, and it relates to that part 
of the world that's on the eastern side of the Adriatic Sea across from the eastern shore of Italy. We would call it the Balkans now uh, to include uh, the countries of Albania, Croatia, Bosnia. Uh, that was the extent of his, his missionary efforts and his three missionary journeys. And now that, that God has directed him through those areas, he feels compelled to now go to Rome and to spread the gospel beyond Rome to other parts of the, of the Roman Empire. In verse 21 specifically, he quotes uh, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, uh, where he says, And they who had no news of him shall see, and they who had not heard of him shall understand. I mean, this is God's plan all along from the fact that Paul quotes predominantly the Old Testament throughout the, the book of Romans. We see that the gospel going to the Gentiles was God's plan to expand the, the knowledge of him to the lost in the world who did not know him. Paul's passion is to bring the gospel to the unreached. And he is interceding and asking the, the church in Rome to partner with him to do that. Uh, he wants them to, to fervently strive together with him and uh, carry the message further on to, to the extent of the known world. And I hope that you realize that this is also our calling. We as believers all have the calling of the Great Commission to share the truth of the gospel with with anyone that we come in contact with so that the, the truth might be known. There are so many lost and dying that need this good news. And so as Paul is asking the, the Romans to partner with him, he's also asking us. Let's see that in uh, verses 23 through 29, if you'll follow along with me. But now, with no further place in me for these regions, and since I have had for so many years a longing to come to you, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on the fruits of theirs, I will go on by the way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness and blessing of Christ. See, Paul knows that the that God is calling him from these regions, that he has spread the gospel throughout this portion of the Roman Empire. And now he longs to go to Spain. Spain is the far western part of the Roman Empire. Now he's on the eastern edges of it. And he, he wants to go to Rome, and, and he wants the Romans to help him as he spreads the gospel further to the west, to the other side of the Roman Empire, much like uh, Ephesus has helped him as a launching point to spread the gospel into Asia Minor and Greece into Illyricum. He wants Rome to help him spread the gospel further west into what is now modern-day Spain and to be a launching point and to partner with him and to help him do that. But first, he's got to go to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Well, he has encouraged, because of the uh, difficulty of the Jewish Christians, he has encouraged the churches in Greece and in Asia Minor to make contributions to the uh, destitute. 
Christians in Jerusalem. And he points out to them, and they know that they're indebted spiritually to the Jews. Why are they indebted to the Jews? Well, just as we are, our Old Testament comes from the Jews. Our our Messiah comes from the Jews. And, And all the prophecy and all of the scripture that Paul has referenced throughout the book of Romans and and throughout his other epistles is is rooted in Jewish scriptures. And and so the Gentiles joyfully shared what they had and uh, sent it with him to Jerusalem, and he is going to do that first. And uh, then after that, he hopes to come to Rome and join with the, the church there to spread the gospel further to the latter parts of the Roman Empire. And then now in the last part of Romans chapter 15 in verses 30 and 33, he requests prayer uh, from the Roman church. And uh, starting in verse 30, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The final thing he asks them, in addition to partnering with them when he comes, is for them to pray that he would be successful in his trip to Jerusalem. Um, First of all, successful in getting this gift from the Greek and and, uh, Asia Minor churches to the Christians in Jerusalem and that they would accept it positively. And he was successful in that. Secondly, that his enemies in Jerusalem would uh, not stop him and defray him from his task of going on to Rome. And he is he is concerned about that. In fact, he uh, when he meets with the leaders from Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, he tells them he probably won't see them again. He doesn't think he's going to survive uh, whatever happens when he gets to Jerusalem. And even if he does, he plans to go to Rome, so he doesn't think he'll see them again. But he has misgivings. And, and for good reason, because Paul, after all, was a Pharisee, and he was originally given a letter by the Pharisees and by the Sanhedrin to pursue Christians and persecute them for the way they have hurt the Jewish faith, at least in their minds. And so now he has become a Christian. He has become not only a Christian, but an apostle to the Gentiles, and he has spread the, the sect in the Jewish mind of Christianity to the whole eastern part of the Roman Empire. And now he's coming back to Rome so that those same people that uh, had (laughs) told him to stop others from doing this are now going to be mad at him for having done the same. And so he asked for prayer uh, to to protect him in this uh, interaction he has with them. What does happen when he goes to Jerusalem? If you've read Acts, you certainly know. He gives the gifts to the uh, Jewish Christians. And then in his first attempt to go to the temple, he is confronted by the Jewish leadership. And ultimately, they make a plot to kill him. And they are going to kill him. There's a riot, and he is providentially rescued. By who? By the Romans. The Roman centurions see a riot happening. They rescue Paul, and they put him under house arrest. 
Now, you may not think of arrest as being a rescue, but it was in Paul's case. It protected him from the murderous intent of the Jewish leadership who didn't like him spreading Christianity and speaking in the name of Jesus. And he uh, was pr- protected by the Romans. He was moved from Jerusalem to uh, Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean and kept there under house arrest. He was uh, given the opportunity to uh, a trial or at least a, a interview with the uh, Roman governor, uh, then Felix, and then later Festus. And he was under house arrest for two years. And he eventually determined that he wasn't ever going to get out of this you know, prison of house arrest. And so he appealed to Caesar. And Paul, being a Roman citizen, had that right. And so Festus sent him on on a ship to Rome, which in and itself was an adventure as they were shipwrecked on Malta, the ship destroyed, um, and he had a great opportunity to witness to the centurion and all those on board that ship by the adventures of what happened and God's providential rescue of them from that shipwreck. And he ultimately showed up in Rome in chains, not how he wanted to be there, but in Rome nonetheless. And he never made it to Spain, but he did have the opportunity to share with the other believers in Rome and with the Jews in Rome and to spread the gospel not only to them, but also to the centurions to which he was chained. I mean, they were a captive audience. And he had the opportunity to spread the gospel that we can ascertain from his prison epistles, the epistles he wrote while in Rome, where he gives you know, glory to the fact that God has given him an opportunity to spread the gospel into Caesar's own household by those centurions that were bound to him hearing the truth and some of them making a decision to follow Christ. That That is the answer to the prayer. He was protected and, uh, and he had the opportunity to share with the Roman church, just like he did in this letter, to encourage them to continue the good fight, to continue to accomplish the Great Commission and to spread the gospel to Spain. And it didn't happen via Paul, but it certainly did happen. The Roman church and the, and the Christians in the Roman Empire continued to spread the gospel throughout Spain and throughout what is now Europe. And we are the beneficiaries of that in America, being mostly European uh, immigrants that came to the United States. We owe our Christianity to the efforts of those Roman Empire believers who spread their faith of Christianity to Europe. And I want you to remember that we are encouraged to do the same. The reason we're hearing this word is that Paul is also encouraging us to do Christ's work, to be the hands and the feet that we are to the body of Christ here on earth and to spread the gospel to those who don't know it. Lawrence Duhon and our mission efforts in our church are, are, are very robust in doing this, and we as a church contribute uh, significantly to the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, missionary efforts. And we also send out missionary trips also to the unreached, as uh, we've sent you know, ministers and missionaries to uh, Mali, West Africa, to an unreached people group there. I pray that we would continue to do that and that each one of us would ask in our hearts, Lord, where do you want me to share your gospel? Where can I spread the good news to those who who don't know it? Thanks for your attention. I hope that uh, our study in Romans has encouraged you and uh, all the doctrinal foundations we've covered over the last quarter has one purpose, 
to fortify us and to get us ready to do the good work of the gospel, to spread the good news to those around us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this message from Paul, for his brilliantly written letter of Romans to establish such a a sturdy doctrine so that we could know the tenets of our faith quite clearly written out and explained so we would know how depraved we are on our own. We would know that salvation is, is through Christ and Christ alone, that we can only trust on him and that through his Holy Spirit in our lives, we have available from him the power we need to do his will and to spread his good news to those who are lost and those who are dying in this world. I thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to to study this. I pray that we would take it to heart and be motivated to accomplish your will and do your good work of spreading the gospel to those who are lost and those who are dying in their sin because the only way they can come back to life is through you and through your atoning sacrifice in our place. I lift up our church, I lift up our staff, and I look forward to the, the day next month where we can gather together in corporate worship and glorify and lift up you, our Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.